This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Hello, everyone. Before we begin this episode with our guest, Jennifer Mary, I wanted to tell you about another helpful podcast. As you know, we've all had to shuffle our lives quite extensively to accommodate trying to flatten the impact of the coronavirus, and this has meant that many conferences have been cancelled in 2020, including one here in Brisbane called the Grow Women's Conference. But the organisers have come up with a wonderful plan to keep encouraging us in ways similar to what the conference offered, which includes testimonies and Bible studies, songs, book reviews, and more. So may I encourage you? Head on over to qcca.org.au forward slash grow. Here you'll find the links to the podcast. And if you miss that, have a look at our show notes. They'll be there. And actually, our guest in this episode happens to be one of the committee members for the Grow Women's Conference. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about the conference and the podcast during this interview. Now, I'm not going to tell you too much about our guest now, because as you will hear, I'm keen to give you the opportunity to see if you can recognize her voice. But I can tell you that this is definitely an episode worth listening to through to the end. Her story includes a psychotic breakdown and her experience with Christian peacemaking and what that looks like. And well, actually a lot more. So let's have a listen to Jen. I am so thrilled you actually allowed me to nag you into coming on to the podcast and chatting with me on the Lydia Project. It's great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, Taryn. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners' benefit, I'm not going to say too much about you right now because I want to see if they can guess where they might have heard you before. So I'm going to launch straight into our first question. And the question is, how did you come to place your trust in Jesus? Thanks, Taryn. Um, well, when my parents got married, they weren't Christians. Um, but when I was still very young, my, my mother became a Christian. And then um, shortly after that, my dad did. That was through Michael and Marion Bennett. They both did Christianity Explained. So I guess from that point, I went to church as a little kid. So I don't really remember a time when I didn't know about Jesus or know that Jesus loved me um, and died for me. My mum tells me that when I was four, I came to her and said, Mummy, Jesus told me in a dream that he would never leave me. I don't remember that, but she remembers that as the kind of thing a mother would remember and hold on to. Yeah, so I don't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. When I was about 12, I remember doing Christianity Explained myself and signing the little certificate inside the Good News Bible that I had and dating it. And I think when I was 15, my parents moved us to a church where the Bible was taught really clearly. And that was really important for my growth. And it was a place where I could meet Christian young people, young adults, and they helped me, you know, find my way into um, Christian group at uni and just other, you know, places apart from my parents where I could hear about the Bible and grow in my understanding. It wasn't of course that easy. Um, I'm the eldest of three children, eldest daughter, and I always, I wanted to please others. You know, I was a good kid. I knew in theory that I was sinful and Jesus died for my sins, but I was just so used to being the good kid and that everyone thought well of. 
And growing up, I was quite blind to the amount of self-righteousness that I you know, carried around with me. I look back and I think I believe that, you know, the approval and recognition and attention of certain people was, you know, owed to me. And when I didn't get that approval or recognition, uh, I was very discontent. And looking back, I can see how God's hand on my life and that he gave me the exact uh, failures and uh, humiliations and trials and also teaching that sort of opened my eyes to see my sin, uh, not just in theory, but in a very real way. And that also freed me from living under its power and, and domination. I still have those struggles, but I think knowing, knowing I have those struggles and being aware of it means that I'm not under its power like I was um, as a young person. And I guess in time, as I came to understand the ugliness of the sin in my heart, I came to appreciate the love of Jesus more and the awesomely good news that um, his death and resurrection has saved me, not only from the penalty of sin in the future judgment, but also the ugly domination of sin over my life right now. So yeah, that's kind of <laughs> where, where, I'm, where I'm up to. Yeah. And just listening to you, I'm so encouraged by hearing how the gospel convicted you of your own sin, despite the fact that you grew up probably, you know, typical first child, fairly good. And as you said, you're trying to please mm. and all that kind of stuff. And so often the self-righteousness is, is what dictates how we believe things about ourselves. And so often you think, oh, it's only people who've really, really sinned that can see in comparison to what Jesus has done for us, like the magnitude of their own sin. So it's so encouraging to hear stories where actually you've lived probably a fairly good life, but even then you can recognize how much you need Jesus. So yeah, I'm, I'm super encouraged by that. I used to look back and think, was I really a Christian back then when I was 12 and I didn't really know how sinful I was? And I think God was faithful and he accepted the faith that I put in him at that point, even without me knowing how sinful I was. Um, yeah. but, but he heard my prayers and he heard my prayers to show me his ways. I look back and think he was, he's just been faithful in showing me his ways and showing me just as I was able to take it, as I was able to handle it, showing me um, bit by bit, you know, more and more of my sin and the depths of it and the ugliness of it in ways that I just, I didn't comprehend when I was, when I was younger. And, but that was all of him to show that to me as well. It was nothing of my own. Yeah, yeah, I love his I love his grace. I love his patience with us. It just, you know, I don't know if you find this, but when those light bulb moments happen and you realize, oh my goodness, God has been so patient. It just makes me love him all the more, which is, yeah. which is cool. So for our listeners, I don't know if you've realized who Jen might be, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> if you've guessed it, well done. If you haven't guessed it, the voice you're hearing is the one in our intros that have been Part of the past few episodes that we've had, Jen is a voice artist and uh, you might have heard some of the work already in the car while you're driving and uh, maybe you recognized her from our intro. Jen, I'd love to hear what led you to voiceover work. <laughs> well, Taryn, I've got like a short version and I like a really longer convoluted version. Would you like the <laughs> convoluted version? <laughs> you give me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I just asked the listeners to bear with me because I tested this on Shem, my husband, last night. He's like, I just didn't know where you were going there. And so I'm like, ah, okay, I'll give a bit of that brief before. So anyway, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, from the time I could talk, I think I love the idea of being recorded. <laughs> my mum... <laughs> 
I know. Just love the sound of my own voice. Um, my mum would put me in front of an old tape recorder and I would just yabber away until the tape ran out, I think, just for the sheer joy of it. And it was also very hilarious for my family to listen to. <laughs> Quite sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> for the years to come. Um, I didn't know about voiceover as a job um, until much later in life. And I think even if I had known about it, I wouldn't have pursued it. I was pretty concerned, as I mentioned, you know, the oldest child, sensible, to follow what was, um, what I thought was the, you know, sensible and, and correct options for me. Um, so I studied speech pathology, um, very sensible and <laughs> helpful profession. Also in the line of speech, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, still kind of wordy and, 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 and all that. And I worked for about a year after graduating. Um, then I did a ministry apprenticeship. <laughs> Um, for three years, that's for those who are not familiar, that's uh, you do you spend time working in a church, experiencing full-time ministry and reading the Bible with people and all that sort of thing. And during that time, I had an acute psychotic episode. Yeah, I know, right? Um, you know, like a mental breakdown. It was quite, well, it was spectacular. There was, you know, ambulance and police involved. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of, that's it was kind of spectacular. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after that, I spent a couple of weeks in um, Belmont recovering. Um, it was it was a hard time. Uh, I think the lead up to that happening was was probably the hardest thing, and I think it was actually much harder for my family to witness me go through that. You know, this person who'd always been so together to suddenly just go crazy like that. That was very hard for them. But for me, I look back I, with such gratitude to that experience and how it, you know, and the things that God taught me through that. So you said there was there were quite a few hard things that led up to that episode. Um, are you okay to elaborate on what that was? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a re actually a really helpful thing to do um, and important for me to clarify that um, while this breakdown occurred during the time I was doing MTS, um, MTS was not the direct cause of, of what happened to me with that episode. Um, it sort of started maybe about six months or so before um, my time in hospital. Um, about six months before then, I'd made some very conscious, I'd made a very conscious decision um, to try and resolve some inner uh, emotional conflicts, um, you know, feelings of guilt and anger and hurt from different relationships. And it was just stuff that was confusing to me and unclear and basically making me unhappy. Um, and it was holding me back from experiencing emotional freedom. Um, and to that point, I think I'd assumed that this was just, you know, emotional baggage that I just had to live with until heaven. But someone very wise encouraged me to believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, healing in this life was possible, actually possible. So um, me being me, I threw myself completely into that journey. I guess I was pretty impatient to find happiness. It was an intense time with days of prayer and journaling, crying out to God to give me clarity into my feelings. There were some very dark days and then there were also times of incredible release as God did give me the wisdom that I needed to sort through my issues. Um, he showed me some specific actions I needed to take, including forgiveness and apologies and even conversations with others. So by a month or two before the breakdown I had, I was actually totally free from those deep conflicts which had started my journey. And that was a really wonderful thing. And I've reaped the blessings of that freedom in my life uh, ever since then. But the thing was at the cost of all that work, um, the mental strain of such intense thinking and in experiencing such dark times followed by such elating times that had 
proven too much for my head, I, I guess. And so by the time my issues were resolved, uh, my brain was spinning and I was getting less and less and less sleep. And in my MTS role, there was always people and problems to further stimulate my brain. Those close to me uh, knew that my thoughts were becoming increasingly strange and that I was losing touch with reality. And finally, after a, a few days straight with no sleep at all, I was so unwell that I needed to be committed to hospital as an involuntary patient because I just, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was really unwell. And then once I was removed from all the stimuli that I was around, you know, that could wind me up and given some serious medication to make me sleep, I began to get better very quickly and regain my grip on reality. There was also some pretty serious prayer going on for me, which played no small part. And in the months after that, although I was well and my deepest issues were resolved, uh, my confidence was pretty shattered and I just felt pretty flat. The mood stabilizing medication I was on probably contributed to that too. Um, but with the passing of time and the power of God's word at, at crucial points, I do feel totally healed from that particular experience um, as, yeah, as difficult as it was at the time. What kind of advice would you give yourself back then to... I've tried to maybe avoid that. Or do you think it's something that was quite important for you to have gone through? I look back and I say, yeah, it was worth it. And I'm glad that I kind of worked all that stuff through. But if anyone wants to go on a journey to resolve deep emotional issues, then yeah, it's important to work stuff through. But I think there are ways of working things through in a more paced out way. Uh, it just could take longer and different people work things out in, in their own way. I, I work best on my own um, journaling. Others work better when they're talking things through. They, mm. they, they work things out when you're, you know, talking to someone in counselling. Yeah, it just, it just really depends. <laughs> it was worth it for me. And, and I don't know that there was going to be any other outcome. I don't look back with great, you know, regret. It was just, it, it was what it was. Yeah. 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 It's encouraging to hear you say that you don't look back with regret because sometimes sometimes we do look back on events like that with regret and forget to take into account what we learned and to show gratitude for the things that came out of it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very easy with the luxury of so much, with so much time having passed since it happened to mm -hmm. sort of look back with just gratitude. Um, whereas closer to that time, I was, I, I, my confidence was pretty shattered and my my faith and my sense of what God wanted me to do was pretty shattered as well. I just, it, it, I felt that the experience really defined who I was, but I think like any big event that happens to us as time moves on that, that big event, instead of being the mountain that we're sort of, it's overshadowing us. It just becomes a, a little hill in the background, you know, the further away we move from it. And so now I don't feel that that one event completely defines uh, who I am at, at, at all. It, it's just one thing that happened. Oh, I think it's a pretty significant thing that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So back to the story of how I got into voiceover. I told you it was pretty convoluted. So yeah. But anyway, about 18 months after that, I was still, I was pretty uncertain and lacking in a lot of confidence about what direction God wanted me to take. I think after that happened, I was like, oh, I'm just useless. But I was encouraged to go to Bible college and that might sound funny, but I, I went and it was actually a, a really amazing time um, soaking in everything and healing and just, I loved every minute of that. 
still wasn't sure what I was, where I was going, but I was really, really enjoying soaking in the Bible. After that, I got married um, and how that happens. Another story. I won't go into that right now, but, <laughs> um, and um, share my husband. He, he really encouraged me to have some form of income. He was worried that, you know, if something ever happened to him that, you know, I'd wouldn't yeah I'd be destitute he just wanted wanted to know that I had something um yeah. that, that I could do to to earn money so I um begrudgingly went back to speech pathology <laughs> after completing a somewhat painful re-entry program I would have been quite happy not to work but um that was important to him that you know to know that I had something if if anything ha- ever happened to him and yeah so I did that for a few more years and then after I had my third baby I just couldn't muster the energy or the money to keep up with the professional standards and all that's required to you know maintain that professional registration as a as a speechy and it was then that I thought oh maybe I could do voiceover (laughs) and I I had a couple of friends who did it so by this stage I knew it was a thing I had no industry connections or acting formal acting background or radio background or anything so I just started like googling it Um, (laughs) um, and I began by trying to mimic um, the work of other voice actors that I, I knew and admired. And after a few months of practice, I started to audition for jobs online and I got myself a very basic studio set up. And then I got some coaching um, with a lady in America, got some more confidence in my own style. So I wasn't just sort of copying what other people were doing. I developed my own way of doing it, um, got a much better studio, more professional setup, looked out all the recording and editing, made some more demos. Yeah. And I think eventually I booked a job. <laughs> I remember, I remember like crying. It was like, oh, someone's paying me to do this, to record my own voice. Um, I couldn't believe someone would pay me for that, but they did. And slowly, slowly booked more work and got more coaching, made more demos. Eventually started working with a, a local agent. So I started working in more, um, more of the Brisbane um, scene and yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, how I got into voiceover. <laughs> wow. That is quite a journey. That yeah, really that's a very convoluted journey, but there you go. So before we started this interview, you were telling me a little bit about your, your current setup. And uh, it's, it's fabulous because Jen has this whole studio that's a separate room implanted in her lounge. <laughs> in her Pretty lounge much. And so you've mentioned a little bit about the ministries you're involved in. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, so I guess I see myself primarily, um, I'm, I'm a wife supporting um, my husband in his work and ministry. He's an elder at the church and also I'm a mother of my three kids, um, eight, six and five and sort of involved with homeschooling them and teaching them. In our local church, I've been helping out with a women's Bible study group and we meet on a Saturday morning, um, teaching a pre-prep um, kids church class and also serving on the Grow Women's Conference Committee for the last few years. And most of those things have looked very different under the COVID-19 situation. Things have continued in different ways and forms, but um, yeah, that's kind of okay. what we do. So yeah. earlier you mentioned, so I'm kind of backtracking a little bit here, but you yeah, sure. there was a whole other story about how you met your husband. So of course, I'm entirely <laughs> curious as to what that is. So I'm keen to know that. And I'm also keen to know a little bit more about your ministry with your children at home and you say you're homeschooling. So how did you meet your husband? Let's start there. Yeah, so I think... Related to that, uh, my, my uh, story of how I came to trust in Jesus, I think as a young person, I was, I was particularly discontent being single and relationships were an idol for me. And that was wrapped up in my own sort of self-righteousness. I think, 
yeah, I remember in my youth, I'd sort of quite, I was one of those kind of quiet girls that just seriously liked a string of boys that never liked me back. Um, <laughs> I can really relate to those movies on Netflix where they come, you know, <laughs> you know she, she just writes these letters and they never, and they never see it. Anyway, yeah, so, but, and this is not my, not, not, not Shem, but, you know, finally God actually allowed me to date someone. And, and then when that failed, uh, it was a massive eye opener for me uh, into that sort of self-righteousness and, and this lie I'd swallowed that, you know, it was, it was the purpose of another human being to make me happy. Um, uh, and it was my, yeah. it was my right to demand love and attention from them. Um, that was a really humiliating experience, of course, but it was really, really pivotal in opening my eyes to, yeah, my, my sin and to the truth of that Jesus is the only one to live for. And that, I think that really helped form me and, and the way that I thought about marriage after that. And so Shem, I'd, I'd sort of known him for quite a few years through church as a, as a friend, as an older brother. He's about 10 years older than me. And so he was just like the older single guy that was just, you know, looked after everyone. I really respected how he, how he treated people and he wasn't there to sort of be up the front and be the center of attention. He was just, you know, giving people lifts and doing stuff behind the scenes and quite content to do that. Um, and I really admired that about him. And, and I think, so we, we sort of had a mutual respect and friendship for a number of years. And I think after I went to Bible college, I, I came back, I remember coming, I was, that was in Sydney and I came back to Brisbane and, and he was like, oh, you want to catch up? And so we caught up just as friends having a chat and I was like, oh man, if it was any other guy, I'd be like, he's, he's going to ask me out. But it was, it was Shem. I just knew that that wasn't, he just, he wasn't leading me on. It was just him. And anyways, so I, you know, I went back to Sydney and just thinking about it, praying about it, but I wasn't, I wasn't upset or um, I wasn't tearing my heart out about it in the way that I had, you know, with those previous things. Um, and that was nice. And then I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll just ask, I'll find out. <laughs> I'll, I'll find out where he's at. You know, that's, that was a big thing for me. I'd never done that before, but I thought, you know, and, and so I actually, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to sort of ask him, but I spoke to our, <laughs> I spoke to our, our mutual kind of pastor. I said, hey, um, do you know if, if Shem, you know, likes anyone or, you know, what's his situation? He, um, you know, he's Chinese. And I thought maybe, maybe he's like, he doesn't talk about his personal life. Maybe he's got like a wife in China somewhere. I didn't even know about that. So I really got to find this out. <laughs> he didn't, but I just didn't know. I thought, I just got to find out. And so, yeah, our, our pastor, he spoke to Shem and said, are you interested in anybody? And he was like, no. <laughs> and then um, our pastor said, well, there's someone who's, who is. And he's like, what, really? <laughs> and then he said, and then Shem said, oh, oh, give me a few days to think about that. So he went away and thought about it and just prayed about the whole concept of relationships and marriage because he'd just been really having a very happy single guy life. Going yeah. to the beach, playing cards, doing all that. But he'd been thinking, you know, maybe it's time to sort of be a bit more, take a bit on, a bit more responsibility. And, and he tells me later that during that time, he did think of me. So I, I hang on to that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and so he, yeah, he, he, he spoke back to, you know, to our pastor and said, yep, no, it's okay. Tell me who it is because he decided that whoever it was, he'd, you know, he'd ask him out and give, you know, just give it a chance because um, he figured that, you know, our pastor would not have approached him if it wasn't someone that he thought was okay. So yeah. So, so he told him that the person was me and he was really pleased. Oh, that's good. 
<laughs> I know, I know, right? And then, um, and so he, uh, after that, yeah, he rang me, and and you know, we went out, we went out, and yeah, within a couple of weeks, he was like, yeah, I, I, I love you, and I intend to marry you, and it was all very. It's all very nice and very straightforward and just really lovely and based on this mutual kind of respect and friendship and yeah so that's that's kind of how that happened it was just yeah <laughs> very it's very unusual I feel like it's sort of a little bit of an arranged situation but yeah really great <laughs> and how long have you guys been married now uh 10 years yeah. Okay. And when you look back on how it all started is it something that you would recommend to young folks to to consider? I think getting some help from someone older, you know, who knows you both, that was really helpful, you know, and just having this mutual um, friend and church pastor to sort of go to who knew us both. I found that really helpful. And I think something that, that, I mean, Shem did was that he, he didn't sort of jump into the relationship being led by his feelings. It was sort of like he made a rational decision first. It was like, actually, I think I'm ready to handle the responsibilities of a relationship and marriage and kids and all that he sort of went through that decision making process before he let his emotions get caught up in it yeah and, and, yeah. I, and I think that's really helpful because marriage is a huge thing and so often in our culture and even in Christian culture we, we sort of can stumble into it through our emotions mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden realize oh wow I really love this person but oh I've got five years of uni left or you know I'm just not ready to get married or um you know, and so the emotions have sort of led the way. But yeah, no judgment on anyone that's in that situation because I yeah. certainly, I certainly let my emotions lead me. Um, and and I think our marriage has just been really boring in a really good way. Yes. Um, um, there hasn't been these intense kind of ups and downs. Like, of course, we have our disagreements, but it's it's not. God let me work through my whole idolatry of relationships before I got married. And sometimes people get married and they have to work that through with the person that they're married um, to. And God is faithful, you know, to work those things out. Yeah. But we are both thankful that, that when we married, we were in a place where it was like, yeah, we, we like each other, but marriage isn't going to be the solution to all our problems. And yeah, yeah it was, yeah. it was great. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love your story. I, I really, really love your story <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, one of them being that the world projects the exciting romance as the goal. And I think so many young people grow up with mm. the emotions being the thing that drives the relationship. And it's something I talk to my kids about all the time. And I mean, I had the complete opposite experience of you. And mm. I see, having lived through that, I see the pitfalls of it. Um, mm. you know, but God and Mrs. Grace has grown my husband and I together mm. and mm. we've grown up together, but mm. the pitfalls are hard. And then when I look back, I go, I actually see value in a just reasoned approach to relationships rather than just diving in at mm. first because he's cute. I really enjoy hearing those kind of stories <laughs> and how people grow in love with each other more through marriage because very often you, mm. you know, grow into it and all romance and then you hit the, the, the skids because it's hard work and yeah how to do hard work yeah anyway. you didn't expect it yeah so we've heard a bit about Shem tell us a little bit about your kids yes yeah, so we decided to homeschool early on I think we both have a bit of a sort of educational backgrounds and we're a bit renegade in our thinking we like to do things differently um and so homeschooling was an obvious choice for us it has hard things but good things 
and yeah, the hard things, obviously a lot of people have experienced what it's like to be with your kids 24 seven and work and balance everything in the last few weeks. But with homeschooling, I've, I've been forced to really think through what is most important for my kids. Um, what do I really want most for them? Um, and homeschooling's made me think that through because it hasn't been put on me from external. You know, I think at school, it's really, you know, you've got all the pressures from the teachers and the education system and other friends and families. And at homeschooling, it's, it's made me think it through. And, and I used to want to use homeschooling to make my kids brilliant. You know, this is a chance. They're going to be the smartest kids. They're going to learn logic and Greek and, you know, um, all this, you know, really intense stuff. And they're going to be so smart. But then I really quickly realized that that wasn't the point of it, that, that what was most important was um, the connection that they had um, with me as a parent that was, that was positive and happy and that they trusted me and ultimately that they developed their own connection um, with God um, that would sustain them when I am no longer there for them or they don't want to listen to me. Um, and yeah, so the, the connection and also character and so you know, helping shape their character, modeling, you know, kindness and self-control and perseverance and, and that a child who learns to be, um, to, to have grit and perseverance can teach themselves anything in the future. So that sort of, that really took the pressure off me in my own mind to try and cover vast amounts of curriculum. I thought, well, we, we need to, obviously they need to be able to read and write and do maths. Yeah. But, but if they have that if they have an attitude of persevering in the face of failure and having that growth mindset rather than, oh, I failed, I'm going to give up, then that, that will set them up for life. Yeah, and, and, and the connection thing, I just, there are many hard moments being with them all the time and they see me in my ugliest moments as well. But that's, that's an opportunity to model the gospel to them um, and to apologize to them. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that I was, I was angry. That must have made you feel scared. And I really, I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me for that. They see that I am not, I'm not perfect. And they know that my hope is in Jesus and in the forgiveness of sins that I have in him. And just being with them at home, they just get the quantity time to, to have that modeled. But also time with them to have these conversations about the Bible. And so we try and have a Bible time where we just read, we've just been reading through the gospels with them in the morning. And sometimes they just fight and punch each other on the couch, but other times, other times they, they listen. And usually when I've promised them chocolate or something, but, but that's okay. They did, they do, they do listen. And I, I hang on to that. What are and their ages? Sorry. Eight, six and four. Uh, and ah. yeah, she just turned five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they're no, they're not like sixteen-year-olds punching each other on the couch. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I have, I have a few of those. It's, it can still happen. <laughs> still, oh, it still happens. Oh, don't. Um, anyway, but but just hearing hearing them make observations from the Bible and and observe things that I wouldn't necessarily pick from a passage, but are truly from the passage like oh god's really god's really fair and i was looking back i tried to write some of these things down in a journal so it, it encourages me so i can look back and go oh yeah we've had good times yeah. um and a really great one was i think we were reading about the pharisees and their hard hearts and it was again it was the eldest one talking about well why are the pharisees hard hearts so hard and it led into this discussion and I ask, well, well, can you think of other times in the Bible where there's been leaders who have had really hard hearts? And we end up talking about Pharaoh and Pharaoh's hard heart and 
um, how because Pharaoh's heart was so hard, that led to the judgment on the Egyptians, which led to the salvation of God's people. Um, and then, and then just the light bulbs went on for him. It's like, oh, the Pharisees' hearts were hard, so God's judgment came. But on Jesus, and that led to our rescue. And it was just mm. like, oh, it was so. It was such a beautiful moment to see those connections being made. But at the same time, it makes me tremble because I think, you know, they're being given so much uh, in terms of the truth, and you know, too much has been given, much will be expected. And, and I think mm. you guys just, you know, hang on to, <laughs> hang on to these truths, and that and that drives me to pray for them every day, and just pray that, pray that the knowledge that they're gaining would wouldn't just puff them up but would be real and heart transforming and they yeah. would become convicted of sin and, and that's work that that I just I do what I can as a mother but only the spirit can change a child's heart and bring them to true and and saving faith that will last for eternity so yeah. it's all it's all of God um, yeah. um do you ever have moments where you go oh I'm, I'm sad that my kids are missing out on this particular thing from mainstream schooling um, well, actually, <laughs> this whole COVID-19 situation has been really great for that <laughs> because <laughs> nothing's been going on. <laughs> and so I've been like, well, there's nothing to feel bad about that they're missing. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so I, I think going back to that kind of character and connection, I, I do remind myself of that a lot. Um, and I, I think it is easier for me than, say, Christian mums at schools where you're, ex you're just constantly being around other families where this kid's doing this and this kid's doing that and you're just always, think, always just being exposed to that. Um, whereas we kind of live under a rock in, in some ways that we don't, I don't hear about all these amazing opportunities and activities. We just kind of put our heads down and focus on the things that we know are important and mm -hmm. um, carefully select um, other activities that, that we mm. want to do. So we, we were doing um, rugby with the boys, which has been amazing. It's been so good, but just that's just been, yep, that's what we're going to do. Um, yeah. uh, not Obviously not in the last few weeks, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of easier when I'm not seeing it all, all those yeah. opportunities. Yeah, yeah that's, that's actually so true. But has it been mm. a, a unique experience a bit with this, having lived through the last few months of COVID-19 and mm. seeing life slow down for everybody? I've also, I mean, as you know, I also homeschool my kids and I think it's been easier for homeschooling families to live through this whole thing because our schooling continues as normal. There's no adjustment there. The adjustment obviously is all the out of out of the home activities and the connections we make with people outside of the home that's been hard but um it is interesting because it suddenly gives you perspective as to how much we crowd our lives with extra things and yeah. i say as somebody who homeschools and has been fairly intentional but not overcrowding how we probably were a bit overcrowded as well yeah uh, so i yeah. wonder how many other people have have really enjoyed having their kids around them and experienced what you would you and i would naturally experience because we have our kids around so much that freedom and flexibility to to do things a bit differently and do them at different times and engage in those long conversations because you don't have to run out the door and be at this practice or at this thing or i'm i'm really glad for COVID 19 in that sense because it's mm. given families that opportunity to kind of reconnect and regroup and experience mm. that slower pace that allows them to relationally connect, which is yeah. 
I think it's awesome. I think there are a lot of um, parents who would like to homeschool but have never done it because of the just like the confidence um, mm. and also the I think the administrative barriers of getting registered and all that have just been have put people off and I think I don't think every parent's in that category but I think there are quite a few parents in that category who've just been thrown into this situation and then have been like right okay this is the um, this is the time to get this sorted yeah, um, we've always yeah. thought we we might try and do this, but now we've obviously been yeah. experiencing it and we're going to do this. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I think for many families as well, they've also gone, okay, this really is not working for us. This is not something I would ever consider. And for them, the school mm. system is, is yeah. they felt it's going to work for them. So you spoke about your ministry that you're involved in. What's big on your radar at the moment? Um, I think something that I, I wanted to mention that's a bit hard to talk about has been um, the last few years navigating a particular broken relationship. That's been my biggest struggle and growing point in recent times. That's been my biggest struggle and growing point in recent times. There's that book by Ken Sandy, I think you, you know it, um, The Peacemaker. That's yeah. been incredibly helpful. I think maybe one can read that book and go, oh yeah, yeah, but kind of it's a different experience to kind of live through a situation <laughs> um, and to go, oh yeah, that's really helpful. And in particular, his idea, well, it's not his idea, it's the Bible's idea, but that the point of peacemaking is to glorify God. Uh, and I found that especially comforting um, when the reality of achieving a reconciled relationship looks um, really unattainable. You know, when everything humanly possible has been done towards restoration in terms of, you know, time and patience and prayer and, and proper apologies according to the you know, everything. And yet somehow things seem worse than they were before. And, and I've learned that while God, of course, is glorified when with the results of peacemaking. So when um, enemies are restored to friendship, like God's glorified then, but God is also glorified by the journey of peacemaking as well. And that's been a great comfort that I've hung on to, especially when, yeah, it just leads comfort and purpose to a long and painful journey that humanly speaking might appear to be going nowhere. I don't know if that makes sense, but so just thinking through when his power helps me to go on that journey. Um, so do things like putting my trust in him because he is good um, to work out the situation for his ultimate purposes. So he's glorified in that. When his power uh, and spirit help me to see my sin and my contribution to the problem, um, that's his power at work. When he, he gives me, when he fills me with courage by the assurance that I'm forgiven in Christ and all my security is him, that gives me courage to renounce my pride and confess my sins and make apologies, you know, that, that feel humanly speaking, very difficult and humiliating, but knowing that God, God, it's God's power that enables me to do that. And that's not something that I could ever do on my own. When his power enables, you know, me to replace I'm hurt and anger with compassion and forgiveness. You know, his power is evident and he is glorified, even in that journey that doesn't necessarily have a, have a human result. So that's been big on my radar. And, and just thinking a lot about how as people, at the heart of our sin, and I think back to in the garden where Eve took the fruit because it was desirable for gaining wisdom and the snake said, you know, and you'll be like God you know, that, that we want at the heart of sin is that we want to be like God and what belongs only to God? Well, glory, you know, all glory belongs to God. And sin is when we go, actually, no, I want to, I want that. I want glory for myself. I want, I want people to, 
see how amazing I am and approve of me and give me recognition and glory and, and honor. And so if I feel that that's my right, then I get, I get envious of others if they get glory that I don't have, or I, I get angry when I, I don't get the attention that I, I think I need. And just looking at my sin through the lens of sin being my addiction to personal glory, you know, that that's actually something that belongs to God and that's why it's so ugly. Yeah. And that's, and that's been, that's been a tough struggle. And, but I'm so, I'm just so like all the other hard things, I'm just so thankful for what God's shown me about his awesomeness and my not awesomeness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you would think in a, in a, I suppose, in a more secular approach to that, it would be a, such a despondent response when we suddenly realize we're not as awesome as we think we are. But in the light mm. of the gospel, it's so freeing. It is. It is. I, I think because the reality is the world is a mess. It's just everything is a mess. And we, we just get so distracted with all these other things that we think might make us feel better. But it's so freeing to actually go, hey, you know, the world's a mess and I can you know, I need to pray for myself and for my friends and everybody else. But ultimately I'm looking towards a better place. You know, heaven is where my home is. You know, it's, it's like, I don't need to, I don't need to set my sights on things in this world. Um, And, 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 and it's a really counterintuitive thing, isn't it? Um, That actually the worse I see myself in this world, the better, the more I long for the next but that, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I'm not living now. It, it's like God, that's how God works. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And getting our head around that, I don't know about you, but often I have to kind of revisit that lesson. So there'll be oh. something else that pops up in my life that makes me have to kind of circle around, circle back, go through, learn again. Oh, yes, God's in control. I can, I can rest yeah. in him. Do you feel that... Uh, I'm sensing from what you're saying that the the struggle you've gone through hasn't resolved as ideally as one would hope. Am I right in that? Yeah, that's right. God's given me peace about the situation. And um, yeah, I mean, I I guess relationships are are, are messy, but I guess as Christians, we want to live at peace with everybody. But as we go on in life, there does come time, there might come times where we do everything we can, you know, making every effort to live at peace yet sometimes that doesn't happen because ultimately it's not only dependent on us it is dependent on another person and and for whatever reason um you know they just you know it just doesn't it just doesn't happen yeah yeah there's a great sadness in that I certainly have felt that for myself a real sadness in loss of of the the warmth and the and the joy of depth of relationship that might have been or had been but there is a, a sense of joy and knowing especially this other other party are christians the joy in knowing that none of that will ultimately matter in heaven that relationship will be restored and so that's it's a, a comfort as well it is yeah i've been thinking about how at the heart of the universe is the trinity you know god in three persons you know father son and holy spirit in these perfect harmonious relationship um of you know, of, yeah, love and there's no, there's no tension. And that's how God, that's God's plan for us as people made in his image to live in harmony with, with him as Lord and in harmony with one another. And and I think when relationships are broken with one another, um, it really, it really cuts to the core of who we are in, in, in that sadness of, gee, this is really, really not the way it's meant to be. 
Mm. Um, we aren't made for brokenness like that. Mm. Um, and it certainly makes me more sad about this world and long more for heaven. Yeah, there are so many sad and difficult things that happen in this world. But yeah, I think broken relationships can be, it just, yeah, it's just one of those things that just really is awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, it's good to hold those in tension, but it's hard to hold them in tension, both the sadness of broken relationships, because we should feel sad about a broken relationship, but also holding the peace of knowing that God is in control. And even in this hard time, yeah. he is still in control. He's still God. He still loves us. He's still good. And feeling at peace with that while still being sad, it's a very tricky balance um, that we can't do on our own, that we have to lay before him and say, this is yours, Lord. And some days... We're going to feel more sad than other days. And yeah. yeah, you also mentioned in our chats back and forth this week about having to struggle with managing a performer's ego. Um, as a Christian, what's that all about? Oh, yeah. Being a Christian and dealing with the performer's ego and what does that mean? So I think coming back to what I was saying about me thinking about um, sin through the lens of like a glory addiction. Um, and, and I think of it as an addiction, like I never truly recover from it and I need to always make steps not to fall back into it. You know, I can sort of, you know, make some steps and then fall straight back into it. Um, yeah. um, you know, that, and I think as a performer and as a creative, there is a sense that we put a lot of ourselves into the creative work. It's so easy to attach my self-worth to that. And I think it's pretty common amongst performers and actors to either feel pretty good about ourselves when we're doing well, we're booking jobs, we're being successful, people are saying that we're awesome. So we feel pretty great about ourselves then. And then when we don't book jobs, we have things are quiet, we're just not getting the work that we that we need or we want, we can feel really despondent and terrible about ourselves because I, look, I, I'm sure that can be a dynamic that happens in any mm. any career or area, but uh I think in the ups and downs of acting where you you can be particularly prone to that. And it's just being conscious of that as a Christian and going and always just needing to remind myself to just take a step back and go, hang on, you know, my self-worth is not in getting, getting booking work or, you know, being thought of as great. It's my self-worth is in Christ and yeah, I think in the earlier days when there wasn't as much work, it was more of the despondency because, oh, I'm not booking enough. And then now it's, there's a lot more work. And so it's that stepping back and going, actually, just because worldly terms doing well, that, that's not my identity. And if it was to all go away, would I be okay with that? I'd have to be okay with that, you know, because that's not where my identity lies. Yeah. So there you go. Those are my thoughts on that. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I, I love that you are conscious of this and that you're thinking it mm. through because I think that is almost most of the issue being dealt with because so many of us, and I think there are probably areas in my own life that I haven't even considered yet. We just don't even, not even aware that that mm. might be an issue. So um, it's good that you're thinking about it. Yeah. Um, what's keeping you standing firm and growing as a Christian at the moment? Yeah, this is weird, but um, my sin, <laughs> my sin, um, what do I mean by that? By God revealing to me my sin and more and more and just the ugliness of it and also the effects of sin I see in lives of people around me and it's pain that it causes and, and just going, 
yeah, that, that sin really is awful. And that, that turns me to Jesus, you know, and that keeps turning me back to Jesus. And yeah, I think, you know, in Hebrews, it's like, don't get caught up in the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, and I think what sin does is it deceives us and we, we think that we're okay and we think that we're great and we think that this world is awesome and what we need to live for. And, and it's the opposite of that is being convicted that, hey, sin, you are a little monster. You are awful. You are ugly. You know, I'm aware now of you and what, you know, and what your effect you have on me and those I love. And that, that keeps me standing firm because it keeps me going back to Jesus and back to him. He is the only answer. There is no other answer to the pain in people's lives except for the gospel of grace and forgiveness of sin in him. It drives me to to pray more. And, and I think that's that experience that I talked about previously with, you know, broken relationships. It's really driven me to pray more faithfully, recognizing there's nothing, nothing I can do. You know, we, we want to do things to fix. We want to fix what's broken. Mm. And being in a situation where you just can't fix something that's important to you that's broken and it just drives you to pray and that's driving me back to Jesus yeah so yeah not not the answer that most people give to that question but it's probably underneath underneath all of you know all of our actions when we realize we need God because of our sin and and did I I can't remember if I mentioned this but the um when Jesus had that story where he was with uh, having dinner with the Pharisee and the woman came in and just was like sobbing at his feet. And the Pharisee's like, well, why are you letting her do that? You know, and Jesus is like, well, she loves, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Mm. And she's, she's obviously conscious of her sin and aware of her sin and aware that Jesus accepted her regardless of that, you know, and, yeah. that, and she loved him much. And, and that, that's kind of how I see it is like the more, the more I am aware of my sin, the more, the more I want to love Jesus because I know how awesome it is that he accepts me despite who I am. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You did mention a few books when we were chatting back and forth and um, uh, you were talking about uh, Christine Dillon's Telling the Gospel Through Story and Grace series of novels. Never heard of those. Tell me more. Oh, yeah. So she wrote telling the gospel through story, I think first and the novels she wrote later, but I actually came, I actually was introduced to her writing through the novels. Um, and it's called grace in strange disguise is the first novel. And in that story, it's Australian and it was kind of cool. Cause you could relate to a lot of um, things there, but in that book, she introduces characters that are uh, changed through um, um, biblical storytelling. And so there's great uh, story about this lady who's um, in palliative care in a hospital and um, the main character is, is meeting with her and, and she, the, the lady who's dying is really uncertain about whether God will accept her. And instead of giving this lady sort of a theological summary answer, the main character tells the dying lady the story of Jesus and the thief on the cross. And in this novel, as this lady on the bed, hears this story being told of the thief that's told by Jesus, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. The the lady who's dying just realizes and her eyes are opened and she goes, oh, and she, all these light bulbs just go on for her through the hearing of this story that this guy on the cross didn't do anything to be accepted by Jesus. And he was accepted because Jesus knew who he was. That was really powerful for me. Obviously, it's a story, but I'm sure it could happen in real life. And it, and it helped me see the power of using 
a story, not just a summary of a story, but the details, you know, you know, learning a story well enough from scripture that you can tell it to someone with enough detail that they can hear it and then remember it because of the picture that was painted through the story and pick up details from the story that I might not have thought to point out to them, but they pick it up because it's in, it's embedded in the story. And so in that novel, it really modeled that to me. And it was like, oh yeah, this kind of, you know, using stories, Bible stories as evangelism and also as discipleship is actually a real, it's actually really a great thing. I'd known about it for years and years and years through sort of missionary contexts and, you know, it's what they do in the, you know, with tribal people presenting stories from Genesis to Jesus. But in these novels, it really modeled how it can happen in everyday life that I could relate to. And so from there, I got this other book, um, Telling the Gospel Through Story. In that book, Dylan sort of goes step by step, how to tell stories um, how to choose which Bible stories to tell and what context, you, you know, to tell them. And um, I found it really, found it really encouraging because I think evangelism is something that I, maybe it's my personality, but I've always struggled with the model of evangelism of, you know, um, invite people to events to hear a talk. And I'm always just so pathetic at inviting people <laughs> and I'm just not a party kind of person. And I just I always found it really hard and really struggled. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is, this is an evangelist. This is a type of evangelism that I could actually be comfortable with where you learn Bible stories and then just say to a friend, I've been learning some stories. Would you be, would you like to hear this story that I've been learning? No one says no to that question. Um, and so it's an, a chance to bring God's word into someone's life who it might be inappropriate to sit and read the Bible with them, or they might never want to walk into a church or you know, for whatever reason, this is the way to reach them. Um, and, mm. and that's been, that's been really encouraging um, for me. And I started off the year with a bang, learning all these stories and sharing them. But then once sort of homeschooling and everything started, I kind of fell off the bandwagon a little bit, but mm. it's definitely something that I, I want to keep growing in and learning and, and, and using it as a way to share God's word with people that, you know, it might be too hard to get them to, you know, walk into a church or whatever yeah yeah Yeah. you have that tool in your toolbox now so yeah it's a way to share the gospel that's awesome yeah grow conference you've mentioned that for for those who don't know what grow conference is can you tell us just a little bit more about it yep so grow women's conference is a conference that's happened in brisbane for the last 10 years there was one year that we missed, but this, this would be our 10th one, I think. Women from all walks of life, from all kinds of church backgrounds, come together once a year for a, a conference where we sit under God's word and we get good Bible teachers and um, sing uh, good gospel, you know, good songs. Um, and yeah, in the last few years, particularly churches have embraced this as a part of their own um, women's ministry at their church. And you sort of go as a group and then prepare for grow together and then once grow finishes you know you can bounce off it with one another and 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 use it to um yeah, just grow the women in your church and that's I think that's part of the vision of grow is to equip and encourage local churches in what they're already doing that's grow in a nutshell obviously this year grows grows in a very different format um we can't do a conference so we spent quite a bit of time thinking and praying about what could we do instead that would be helpful and not overwhelming? Um, and we felt that 
we didn't want to create an artificial sort of online community. We want to encourage people to be in their own churches and relationships there and connect into those if they're not already. Um, so we came up with this idea of releasing audio content and we thought that audio would be helpful because we're feeling like there's a bit of Zoom fatigue happening sometimes. You know, people are just, you know, getting so many videos and conference calls and, um, yeah, so that we, we're releasing sort of short podcasts. And, uh, yeah, I think the first one is, is out and there's going to be an email coming out. Yeah. So the, it's basing it around Hebrews 1 to 4. We're not doing, like, big Bible talks. We're sort of – we're doing, a, like, three or four different types of podcasts. So there's – um, one will be like a Bible chat where we just chat chat with someone about um, a chapter in Hebrews. Um, then there'll be another podcast, which is like a, a song and prayer chat, you know, talking through a rec- few song recommendations and prayers. Um, and then there'll be another chat that's a, a, a like a book review. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, talking about some book reviews. So, yeah, just hoping that that, that um, doesn't overwhelm people but provides some food for thought that, that women can listen to and then chat about it with, you know, the women in their life. Oh yeah. And a, and a chat and a grow chat, which is sort of like this, where we just chat to a Christian woman about how she's, you know, okay. standing firm and yeah. yeah. Going. So awesome. it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, it sounds, I'm really excited about it. I'll be looking out for that email. Mm. And I think in the show notes, I'll pop the, the website as well. So people can find it if they aren't connected already to grow be a good thing yeah. and then i've just yeah. got a an, I'm, I'm just super curious he sent me a couple of things of things that are i guess high up on your list of, of things that are on your mind at the moment and one of them is keep calm and play books podcast oh. What's that about? <laughs> oh yeah so i think with the COVID 19 situation and a lot of parents trying to juggle homeschooling and working from home i was convicted that this is something that i've been trying to juggle the last few years working from home and homeschooling and so um, we had a Zoom night as a church where I sort of shared a few things. Uh, and then I thought, I'll just put it into a podcast, a few episodes that if anyone's interested um, and, you know, they're feeling super anxious about homeschooling, they can have a listen and um, okay. yeah, hear a bit. It's, it's Keep Calm and Play Books. It's all the other titles okay. I thought of had been, had been taken. Um, <laughs> it's more that it, co- it comes back to the, our reliance on audiobooks. We, we rely a lot on uh, audiobooks to stay calm and sane. So I thought. Oh, love yeah. audiobooks. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. it's a staple in, in most homeschooling homes yeah. and environments. I think the content there is probably, probably most relevant for that group of parents. I think that we mentioned previously that are, already thinking about homeschooling and wondering if they can do it. Yeah. It's, and, and that are thinking about striking out on their own and coming up with their own sort of pathway and curriculum. Now that school is looking towards going back and, and just hearing stories from parents, a lot of them are feeling a lot of pressure to kind of get through the schoolwork that's been set by the teacher. Mm. Um, and so that's causing issues that for me and what I've shared in that podcast is not so helpful because I'm just like, well, we just, you know, we just do what we think's important and we don't worry about any of that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but, but there should still be something encouraging in there. So, uh, look, I don't, I don't know that there's going to be uh, many more episodes, but it's what's there is there if anyone finds it. And <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that benefiting that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. It's been so good to chat to you. I, I always find in these interviews, 
I have a dozen more questions for you, but obviously I can't ask them all right now. Otherwise the poor podcast listeners will be here for like another three hours. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you just giving us some of your time and sharing some of your heart. And it's been good to get to know you a little bit better and to see your studio vibe. It's really cool. Thanks. Likewise, Sarah. It's been an absolute joy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Special thanks goes to our platform host, the Gospel Coalition Australia. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. Hi again, everyone. If you're still listening, you're going to be in for a little bit of a treat because as mentioned in this episode, Jennifer Mary is a voice artist and I thought it would be a bit of fun to have a listen to some of her work. So hang around because coming up next is a compilation of Jen's voiceover work. This is Jen and here's some of my latest work. Here's everything you need to know to get your Square Reader set up and running. Inside your box, there's a Square contactless and chip reader, charging cable and a Square magnetic stripe reader. At Ubank, our home loans don't have ongoing fees. So you have more to spend on the things you really want. In a world full of choices, it's sometimes hard to know what direction to take and what choices to make. How do we make the right choice? We keep our options open and seek out good advice. Seize more specials with your Woolworths Rewards Card. Keep your eyes open for extra fresh specials personalised just for you. Get offers sent straight to your inbox. Simply hit the activate button in your email for member exclusive savings. Non-stop music, no ads. So your music won't skip a beat. What am I going to do? I've got three months until my 20th high school reunion. They can't see me like this. I need help. I need workout Indra Pilly. I can do this. Beautiful skin starts with a funny name. And no, it's not a Chinese menu option from the Lucky Dragon. Mugu is skincare. Why is it often easier to talk to a complete stranger than a close family member? Don't let the silent passage of time destroy your family. Relationships Australia can help you trust again. You can handle a tight squeeze on the outside, but on the inside, it's absolutely marvellous. OK, maybe there is one thing compact about the RAV4. The price. Bringing good to the world can only happen through amazing people. Campos Coffee. We're here for good.